All right, let's, uh, let's look back, Daniel 11. We're going to start in verse 2, but as we do it, if you've missed the series, we're at the tail end. Daniel 10 through 12 is one long vision and explanation. Remember, the first half of Daniel is his life. The second half of Daniel, Daniel 7 to the end, are these visions, these experiences Daniel had with God. And they're written down not just to record what happened, but to show us that God is speaking in the here and now. Like he's still speaking. And when we, when we hear him speaking, we should think about what God has to say. And then we saw last week, Daniel 10, was the setup. While Daniel is getting ready to hear from God, something else is happening in the unseen. And if it freaked you out a little bit last week, it was a good reminder. Spiritual beings are real. Angels and demons are real. Powers are real. And conflict is real. And so there are human conflicts, right? You and your neighbor always get along. You and your in-laws always get along. You and your coworkers always, no. Human conflicts are real tension. But there are also spiritual conflicts. There's a real enemy to the creator God. And those enemies uh, the Satan demons want to stop what God's doing, but they can't. They could try to hinder what God's doing. They can't stop what God's doing. So we're living in a broken world, not just human relationships, human governments. We're dealing in a world where there are real spiritual forces and powers trying to stop you as you follow Jesus. How's that for a Sunday morning pick-me-up? But the vision still comes to Daniel thinking about these powers, I'm going to recap what I said last week. Mark 1, 39, Jesus is this perfect example. He's like, I don't know if this, all this stuff is real. So he, Jesus, traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Jesus shares the good news of God, and he also cast down evil powers. And that's not surprising because he has the authority to do it. And the reason we looked at it last week is in light of Jesus' coming, his people, you and I, share that same authority. So Jesus said often to his disciples, you've never asked for anything in my name, but there will be a, come a time when you're going to ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Then go to Acts. And you see that the apostles, they saw these same spiritual powers stopping people from experiencing God, and they, in Jesus' name, cast out demons. And so you and I are called to live faithful. That is, we have been given, we're not Jesus, but we've been given his authority. He's told us as he pushed back darkness, now in his name we can see darkness pushed back as well, which means we want to live faithful. Um, what I've learned from Daniel, because we're getting towards the end, and we always have to think of the big picture, is that it is possible to live faithful in a very broken world and you and I don't have to wait for everything to be okay. You, do not, you and I don't have to wait for every situation to be perfect to stand up and live faithful to God. Now let's look at the vision, and we'll come back to thinking about how to live faithful, all right? Ch uh, Daniel 11, chapter, uh, 11, verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. And when he has gained power by his wealth, he, speaking of this king, will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. And after he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out 
towards the four winds of heaven or, or four different kingdoms. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Now, we're not going to read all of Daniel 11 if you're reading it along. It is very long and dense. I wanted to read the beginning to show where this is headed. There are these kings, if you read Daniel 11, 2 all the way down to verse 35, it speaks of specific kings. A king from the north is going to rise, then a king from the south, then a king from the north, then a king from the south. And you read about all of these kings. What is this all about? Because if you read it, it seems mysterious. Most scholars, or at least many scholars, agree that what Daniel is getting is insight into specific kingdoms that are going to come after his lifetime. And you get these specific details. If you look back to Daniel 8, if you've really been doing an in-depth study, if you look at Daniel 8, there was a picture about a goat and a ram and these horns. This is a parallel vision. Before he got it in a pictorial form, like there's going to be a goat that's going to rise, going to be a ram, and it was a visual picture speaking of kings and kingdoms. Now he flat out gets details. This king's going to rise, and this is what's going to happen. And this is really cool, because if you look at history, uh, Cyrus the Persian is one of those kings. And then it goes on to the Greek Empire. And it goes on to the, as the Greek Empire splits into the, the kingdom of Egypt and Syria. It goes from Alexander the Great down to Antiochus Epiphanes. And here's the good news. We're looking thousands of years later. Daniel, when he gets the vision, is looking forward. God gives his servant what's going to come over the next 400 years. I just want you to stop and take that in. God gives his servant what's going to happen in human history hundreds of years in the future. So these kingdoms to come aren't accidental. They don't just happen. What we see is God is the Lord over history, right? Now, let's give a disclaimer. Daniel's not given the exact details. Like, in this year, this is going to happen. He's given the framework. This king is going to do this. This king is going to do that. This king is going to rise in mighty power with wealth. Then his kingdom is going to be split into four. He gets enough details that he could be at rest and at peace. When Daniel goes to be with God, Daniel needs to know God's continuing to rule his earth. Uh, one commentator, Stephen Miller, put it this way. In the first 35 verses, there are at least 135 specific prophecies which have been literally fulfilled and can be corroborated by a study of the history of the period. Uh, that may not seem like a wow to you, but that blows my mind. When I read the Bible, Daniel gets, in these verses, more than 135 little nuanced details that actually happen. Now, what does this mean for us? All right, that's great. Wow, isn't that wonderful? So what? What this tells us, and write this down, human kingdoms will rise and fall. Daniel is a book of standing up and being faithful to God in a, in a very broken world. Remember, he's lived most of his life under Babylon's rule and now the Persians' rule. And these are not nice guys. And they are totally counter to his God, his faith, his way of living. And Daniel, though, threads the needle. He serves the government that he doesn't agree with. But he serves as God at the same time. And, and we want to live like this kind of people. Human kingdoms are going to come and go. But God's kingdom, hear this, is going to last forever. And that's why this, 
detailed report of the kingdom to come is so helpful because they will come and go, but we are looking to a greater kingdom. The fact that you and I live in the U.S. today is, is a blessing. Some of you may not see it that way. I would say save your little shekels, save your money, and travel around the world, and then fly back home, and you'll go, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, right? Especially fly back to the Pacific Northwest, where you can have every kind of coffee humanly imaginable. Most places of the world are drinking ground coffee with hot water instant. And if you're drinking instant, we're going to have a talk afterwards, because you need Jesus. But, but we are blessed, but would you agree, our, our own nation is broken, isn't it? It's not the kingdom of God. This is not the kingdom of God. And whoever's in charge of our great country, which I love and respect and am blessed to live under, is not the king. God is the king. God is the ruler. And so I serve human kingdoms, but they will all stumble and fall. America wasn't here. And in human history, if Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, there very well could be a time where America is no longer here. Human kingdoms come and go. Read long history and you realize there are very few kingdoms that have lasted throughout the eons of time. Leaders come and go. He served under Nebuchadnezzar. He served under, under Belshazzar. He served under Cyrus. And so the big idea of chapter 11 is Daniel. He's getting to the end of his life. Daniel, don't you worry. I've been faithful to you in your lifetime, and these kingdoms are going to come, going to come and they're going to go, and I will be faithful then. Just think about in our own lifetime. Sometimes we forget how fleeting things are. There are people, maybe in this room, maybe not, who are old enough to remember when Hitler was, was ruling Nazi Germany and much of Europe. That was, like, not that long ago, people. And now it seems like, especially if you're young, 15, 16, that's like ancient history. No, there are people alive who still remember. Or uh, many people here would remember communism. The, the, how many of you remember the falling of the Berlin Wall? Some of you are here. You're, you, some of you are like, yeah, like I was on YouTube last night. I saw it. Um, <laughs> the Soviet Union, uh, uh, Cuba, so close to the U.S., and, and Castro. All of us remember the Arab Spring not long ago. All over uh, the Middle East, in one spring, kingdoms just fell that we thought would be there forever. Human kingdoms come and go. What do we get in Daniel and Daniel 11 in particular? God's kingdom remains forever, and God is the Lord of history. So, other than when Daniel is in the presence of angels or God himself, that's the only time he's freaked out. And that's the best time to be freaked out. When, you're in, when you sense the presence of God, man, if you're like, hey, God, how you doing? Man, you missed it. You know, like Daniel, like, is, he falls to his face as if, he's, as if he's dead. When the presence of God is there, then his body is stirred. Every other time, he's not swayed. And that's a word for you and me. When you read the news, read it in light of the kingdom of God. When you see things going sideways, think of it in light of the kingdom of God. These kingdoms are coming and going. God is a kingdom that will never pass away. Okay, that's, that's part of Daniel 11. But the vision isn't only about the past. It isn't only about these successive kingdoms. Just drop down to verse 36. Verses 2 to 35 are all about these kingdoms to come. Verse 36, I think it changes a bit. Uh, let me just read for a little bit. The king will do 
as he pleases. This is one of these successions of kings. And he's going to exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. He'll be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He'll show no regard for the God of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. Now, if that seems obscure, it's because it is. And what you have in Daniel 11 is these kingdoms, and then something changes. And I'll be honest, verses 36 through 45 to the end, there's lots of mystery and lots of disagreement about what this means. And this is where we want to come to the Bible honestly. The fact that there's a mystery in the Bible, things that we don't exactly understand shouldn't freak us out. It's beautiful. God's bigger. <laughs> you don't get to know it all. And even though God writes it, it doesn't mean his kids will understand it all, but we pursue him because there are insights. Have you ever read the same Bible passage twice and thought, I never saw that? That's why I read the Bible all the time. It's not a religious ritual for me. And look, if it's, like, if, if it's like going to the gym, if you're like, oh, I got to go to the Bible, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you. I go to the fridge because I'm hungry. I don't know about you. And I don't go to the fridge once a day. Maybe you do. I go multiple times a day because there's always something to eat. The Bible isn't some exercise necessarily. It's a, a diet. It's a feast for us because there's always something about God and ourselves that we can learn. Now, some people say this is about Antiochus, like this is about this king. Right before this was about what we see, Antiochus, who really ruled and reigned from 175 to 163 B.C. Real man in history. Some people think this is about him, but others say this can't be about him. And I kind of agree, because if you read human history, the things that are stated about this king don't line up with Antiochus's life. So he never did some of these things. So I think what we're getting, others read it in light of 1 John. In 1 John, um, at the end of his life, John writes the revelation. But right before that, in these little letters in John, he talks about one to come, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. There is going to be a leader who's going to rise up, who's going to stand in opposition, and is going to make himself like a god above King Jesus and be on the lookout. And so some say it's about Antiochus, some say it's about a future king, and, and, and who's right? Is it about a past king, a future king? I, it's hard to say. I think it, it could be about both. What you see in prophecy is sometimes, visualize this with me, sometimes you're looking on the horizon, right? You go to the coast and you're looking, you're looking out. Maybe it's whale season, whale migration. And you're out on the tip and you're looking out. And then you put on your binoculars or telescope or whatever and and. You're looking at the same thing, but sometimes you put on something else and it looks like that whale is like right in front of you. I'm unable to do that. <laughs> Siri, this, I'm in the middle of a message. I'm having a weird moment. <laughs> I love you. Hey guys, we're definitely using this one for the podcast. <laughs> so now visualize with me, not Siri. 
Hold on a second. I got to put this thing on do not disturb because don't mind me. Just tell Jesus you love him. Okay. Thank you. Siri is now off. Okay. Um, so you're at the coast. And you look out. Try to visualize after that one. You look out. You're looking at the ocean and you see the, the whale or whatever is way out there. And then you put on the, the binoculars or whatever and they look really close you're looking at the same spot. One makes it look close. The other makes it look far away. In the same way, when the prophets are getting a vision, they're seeing, right? Sometimes they're seeing something that's about to happen. It's a vision, and it's going to happen for Daniel. It happens right after his lifetime. But what he doesn't realize is sometimes God's giving him this vision kind of like as if he had binoculars way out in history. The prophet usually doesn't know what's going on. They're just experiencing this. Some things are for the near future. Some things are for the distant future. It's why we read the Bible carefully, thoughtfully, and often. Because I think, and again, some would disagree. I think what Daniel's looking into and seeing in the future is a king that's yet to come. A king that we haven't seen come yet. And when we look at the New Testament, I think what John is saying in 1 John is parallel to Daniel's vision about this person to come. Either way, right? Here's what we know with certainty. Drop down to verse 44. This is what we know for sure. There's disagreement about that. No worries. This isn't a hill to die on. I think, it's, I think Daniel gets a, a glimpse of the future. But middle of verse 44. He will set out, this great king, in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end. And no one will help him. You see, the future king, like all human kings, whether this is referring to Antiochus, this is all old, whether this is referring to the king to come in the future, towards the end of history, either way, the king is going to come to an end. And the kings that are opposed to God, hear me, will be defeated. So we want to remember, human kingdoms are going to come and go. Second thing we want to remember, write this down. God is working in history to rescue his world. That's the beautiful thing about prophecy. Why is it in there? It's to remind you and me, God is working not just in the out there, floaty, obscure. He's working right here, right now, in human history. And prophecy gives us the courage and the encouragement to trust that the God who sees what's going on at the right time is going to step in. Human kingdoms are going to come and go. But history matters. What happens now matters. Here's why. Uh, Paul, later, after Jesus, writes to the church in Galatia. Galatians 4, verses 4 or 5. Just write it down. When the set time had fully come. I'll read the rest of it. That line is huge. Paul sees everything God had been doing in Daniel. And these successive kingdoms ends up coming to the Roman kingdom and the Roman kingdom is the right time for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. Now, we know from history why. Rome unifies the language. Rome builds roads across the entire empire. When is going to be the best time for the good news to go to the known part of the world? It's not earlier in history. It's during the time of Rome. And we know that history isn't just a side of God's movement. History is God's story in real time and space. And so when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So it's at the right time when Israel, God's people, are back in the land, the temple's rebuilt, Messiah can come, and Jesus can fulfill what no one else had fulfilled. So history matters. This just reminds us, God's in, at work in ways we don't see. Friend, when you go to work, when you're living in your neighborhood, when you're just trying to pay the bills and do life, I will confess, sometimes I don't see God at work. Sometimes I don't see God at work in my life. Sometimes I don't see God at work in my neighborhood. I don't see God in schools. don't see God in the workplace. But you can count on this. God is working in the seen and unseen. In the powers that I can visualize and the powers I can't visualize, God is at work. And so jumping back to Daniel, we see at the beginning of, of chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, this, this chapter division is just there, but the vision continues in chapter 12. Read chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, uh, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. So this angel is going to come. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Human kingdoms are going to come and go, right? God, though, is working in human history. God is not just out there. He's intertwined. He's working in our world right now. But we need to remember, what do we know? God is going to step in at the right time, and those people whose names are written, he says to Daniel, your people, those who belong to God, not just anybody, those who've been faithful to Yahweh, those who know the creator God, those who've, who've read the book of the law, those who've seen God's ways and choose to follow God's ways, they're going to be delivered. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Speaking of people who've died. Some will rise to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, will shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who will lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In other words, as a visual, what, what is hidden will be seen. Those who've died faithful to God are now going to shine. Everyone's going to see that God has been faithful to them. But you, Daniel, Roll up, seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. In other words, this isn't going to happen now. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. In these verses, this is interesting, factoid for my Bible nerd friends, of which I'm there. This is the one instance, the clear instance that you see in the whole Old Testament about at the end of time there being a double resurrection. Everyone is raised. You see it in, if you read Corinthians in the New Testament, I think Paul, reading all of his Bible, it comes to the same conclusion that at the end, when God brings everything under his creation into judgment, everyone who's asleep is going to rise. Some are going to rise to life. Some are going to rise to what do we see here? Contempt. To everlasting contempt. Not a happy place. And so human kingdoms are coming and going, but we know that history isn't just cyclical. An Eastern ideology, an Eastern um, religious practice, the whole world is seen as in cycles. So, so there's this life, and then there's 
the next life, and then there's the next life, and what happens in this life is going to go into this life and into that life. And that is one way of viewing history that's just these cycles of pain and suffering and release and pain and suffering and release and do what you can to get out of the cycle of suffering and pain. But that is not the world as the Bible reveals it. And if God is the creator of time and space, I'm going to go with God on this one. And with God's view, look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, you could stop there. He's the creator of it all. God created, and he even created time. And this world's not just going to cycle to unending cycles. The, the time is going to come to an end. This period of, of, of living, of humanity, is going to come to an end. And God is going to take us into his future. So what do we know? We know third thing, write this down. God will bring his people through to everlasting life. The reason it's worth reading the end of Daniel, human kingdoms are going to come and go. God, though, is working in time to do things. He's not outside just like looking, I wonder what's going to happen. No, he's working to save. He's working to bring rescue to his world and in the end, he's going to bring his people through. So Daniel gets glimpses into the future, but what does it have to do with today? I think the key word there is through. Reality check. Daniel lives most of his life under kings that are not in alignment with his way of living. And we don't get the end of Daniel's life. We don't know. I think it's safe to say because we don't know that he never makes it back to to the land of his forefathers. He never makes it back to Israel because God's people were allowed to go back at the end of his life, but Daniel is not there anywhere recorded. So I think Daniel dies far from the temple, far from the land, and that, that is a reality check for us. It doesn't mean Daniel's life gets easier. Him knowing that God is faithful, him knowing that God's going to bring everything to a rightful end. He's going to bring those who are faithful to him to everlasting life, those who ignored him to everlasting contempt. It doesn't mean his circumstances are going to change. I'm going to throw this on the screen. Our circumstances might not change. Now that is um, not necessarily a word of hope. Some of us think that if we follow Jesus, right, if I'm faithful to God, he is going to get me out of, and then whatever, fill in the blank. The, the job or the career that you're in may not get any better. You might be in that career path or with that company for a long, long time. You're saying, God, get me out. He's saying, not yet. Your health may continue to get better. It may continue to decline. You say, I'm not well. I'm praying. I'm asking God. And that does not mean God does not hear. And if you read the previous statement, God's going to bring us through to everlasting life. He's going to be faithful to us here, and he's going to bring us past this, through. This is such a word of hope hidden in disguise. To say that your circumstances might not change, man, I seem like, Jose, thanks for the downer. Like, I came to church, and you told me I may be in this for a long time. Well, I don't want you to be discouraged. God is going to bring your circumstances to a different situation because this is only a period of eternity and all of eternity will be with him, right? As long as I'm here, though, I don't know if God's going to get me out of this situation. He doesn't seem to do that for Daniel. 
But I don't want you to leave disillusioned as well to say that God's not working. No, sometimes we doubt God's love. We doubt God's faithfulness. We, we doubt what God's doing in the world because we don't see a change in our circumstances. But here we see the balance. You can have a skewed view of God because you have these assumptions about what God is supposed to do. God's supposed to bring me out of this and into happiness. And I would say, yeah, in the long view. In other words, when I stand faithful to God and live faithful to him, I know that he's watching and in the end, he'll bring me through. And if not in the here and now in this life, definitely in the life to come. So what you see in the Bible, if you read it carefully, most people that are our heroes went through terrible seasons of suffering. Not all, most. I'll just throw out one comes on the top of my head, Joseph. Joseph ends up rising up and he's second to Pharaoh and he's got all these accolades, but his brothers want to kill him. And instead of killing him, they throw him in a dirt hole and sell him as a slave. And he's faithful. And, and he does well, but he ends up in a guard's house doing his job, living faithful, but the guard's wife wants to have him. And so he's faithful. He's like, I'm not going to touch my, my master's wife. But when, she, when he refuses her, she lies and he ends up in jail. And then he's faithful, right? Other people are in jail and God gives him the interpretations of dreams for these other people who are in jail. And he's faithful to say what God said. Guess what? They get set free. One got his head chopped off. That's pretty bad. But the other is back in his, in his job and Joseph is faithful, but he's left in prison. Hey, when you get out, remember me. And totally forgets about him. There are seasons of suffering all throughout Joseph's life. And this doesn't happen once. It happens again and again. So I think we need to be honest and say, God, it doesn't feel like you're present or feel like you're faithful, but Lord, I'm going to recognize that since you're the creator, I don't get all that you're doing. And this is just hard. Hey, this is easy to say. It's hard to live out. I don't understand why, but I'm going to look at your pattern. As you have been faithful to people before me, I'm going to trust that you're going to be faithful in this season for my good. What we get in Daniel is we remember it. We've been forgotten. God will step, step in. So here's the, the balance to my previous statement. Today's trouble isn't the end of your story. That's the good news, okay? Our situation might not change in the short term, but today's trouble isn't the end of your story. Daniel is raised to everlasting life. And, and God sends all of these prophets, these spokesmen who speak his word to give us a long track record. But the best part of the track record is God sends his own son, Jesus. Jesus is God walk on planet earth. And does Jesus understand suffering? You tell me. He's totally misunderstood his entire life. Almost no one gets what Jesus is trying to do unless he does a miracle for him. And then most people say, great, great, great. Now can you do another one? Great, great, great. Oh, well, I need another one. Hey, great, great, great. Most, and he gives them food in the, on the hillside. They have nothing to eat. And he gives them miraculously food. And there's so much as leftovers. And they follow him to the next time, next town thing. Okay, God, what, what are you going to, you know, you, you did the bread and fish. Can you do tacos? Can, <laughs> can you give us something else? And Jesus even recognized they're, they're coming for more food. So Jesus is acquainted with it, but he's 
faithful. And Jesus reminds us that we will be rescued. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be what? Saved. And those who have been set free from sin and their past removed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, even though their life may be hard on planet Earth, they will make it to eternal life. But this is also a reality check. Some will rise to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt, which means that our response to God, hear me, really matters. Your response to God today really matters. Not that you're trying to earn your way into God's favor, like if I do, if I do, if I do, then God will bless. No, that's not how this works. Grace is that God, when I call on him saying I've got nothing, says forgiven. You're my child, my son, my daughter, set free, past gone. You're mine. Now what he's looking for is a pattern of response. Say, God, since you set me free, I trust you. Since you set me free, I trust you. Since you love me, I trust you. And so the invitation for us today, those of us who are following him, is to trust him. So when I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm in trouble, I, like Daniel, don't have to cave into fear. Why? Jesus is with me. And I'm here to remind you this morning, Jesus is faithful. He's the same yesterday, what, today, and what? Forever. And if he was faithful to Daniel and he's faithful to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and everyone else and to the apostles and Peter and James and John, he will be faithful to you. So why the visions? Why do we get the visions? I think the visions are there to foster faith. When you see what God does, he gives his people the future, then I can put my hope in him for our future. The visions are there are to remind us that God, hear me, God is in control of the world, not any political party, not any political system. God is in control and he's working even in broken systems to bring about good in ways we don't understand. And I think the visions are also there to remind us of the horrors and wages of sin. When Belshazzar and Cyrus and others when, when they go off and they do evil, God says, I'm going to judge them. And you know what? We don't like to talk about it, but that part is absolutely true. God is faithful, and he'll bring everything and everyone into account. So my response matters. If you feel like you're struggling, put your hope in Jesus. So let me ask you this morning as we think about our response, where is your hope? Where is it? We all have hope in something. And so we remind ourselves when we come on Sunday, where are we putting our hope? Today is, is your hope in your like friend network. Hey, things are struggling, but, but I've got all these people in place. Is your, is your hope in your assets, in what you have? Man, it comes and it goes. Is your, is your hope in your experience, right? Well, I've been okay and I've kind of made it, so I think I'll make it. The only safe place to put our hope is in Jesus. For everything. So if things are fine, I'm going to say to you, don't put your hope in your good circumstance. Put your hope in Jesus. He's faithful to you. Thank God for the season of blessing. When I'm in a season of blessing, just thank him. Even as a church, we have our ups and downs. And where there's a season of blessing, I just say, thank you, Lord. I know trouble's coming. I know it. And I'm not negative. I'm glasses half full. But I'm, I'm also realistic to know in this world we'll have troubles. But be of good cheer. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So I know I'm going to go through hard stuff. It could be next week, next month, next year. But my hope in the good times is in Jesus. Don't be like most of us. 
We put our hope in Jesus when we run out of options. Right? But even if that's you this morning and you have no other option, okay, now's a good time to put your hope in Him. But I think what God wants to do is bring you to maturity, to hope in Him when things are great, when things are middle of the road, and when things are falling off the cliff. We are called to put our hope in Jesus. So let's do that this morning. Let's respond in faith. Stand to your feet if you would. And we want to sing songs of worship and adoration and praise to Jesus because he's faithful and he's good and he's kind and he's here and he's for you and he's not against you. So look, if you feel like you're far from God, turn to Jesus. If you've never put your hope in him this morning, put your hope in Jesus. If you want to connect with someone because something resonated this morning, you're like, Jose, man, I, I need a, something was said that just hit home. Uh, we have a prayer team that wants to respond with you. They're just people in this, in this church who volunteer and say, I want to be there and pray with people as they're going through stuff. And if that's you this morning, for any reason, big or small, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Uh, as we sing these songs, just slip out, go to your right. You see a door there. Right across the hall is our office, couches and chairs. And it's a little quieter than here. And someone would love to pray with you. Lord, thank you that you're, you're faithful throughout history and so we can bank on your faithfulness to us this morning. So Lord, in our weakness, we call on you. In our desperation, we call on you. In our moments of just joy and pleasure because we see your hand, we call on you and just say thank you. Lord, thank you. Look, those this morning who need your, your hand of deliverance to get them out, Lord, be faithful. End the season would even ask. End the season and bring them out into a season of favor and blessing. But Lord, if there's still some more time, thank you that your presence is enough. We look to you, Lord Jesus, and we call on you and we worship you because you're our King.